Hey, I'm Brian. I'm the minister at Harmony Christian Church. Thanks for joining us today. You can find out a little bit more about us at harmonychurch.tv. Also on at harmonychurch.tv, not only can you find out about us, you can also send us a comment. Let us know if there's anything maybe we could be praying uh, about, or maybe something going on in your life. You could do that. You can also donate online. There's a way to give a, a one-time gift or to set it for a reoccurring gift. If you'd like to do that, you could do that today. Or if you'd like to, you can mail us uh, a donation to Harmony Christian Church at 7100 South Choctaw Road in Choctaw, Oklahoma. So again, appreciate you uh, tuning in today. Good morning, Harmony. My name is John Mitchell. Let's start our service out with a quick prayer. Father, you are worthy of our praises. You, you reign in majesty above all of us and our Lord forever. We thank you for allowing us to be graced by your presence today. Hallowed be your name. Accept our love and adoration in Jesus' name. We are here to pray, Almighty God, that you will always light our way with, the pre with your presence. We resist evil and pray that you, your light will always shine on us. May all people see your glory through us and come to worship you as the living God. I don't think that many of us would say that life has turned out the way that we expected it to go. In fact, we probably all have stories that we could tell about unexpected things that happened in our lives. We all have stories like that. And I hope today, as we look at some of the stories that we're going to look at, you might see your story in these stories. These stories of things that were just unexpected. Think of it like two people are going to go on a date. And on this date, they, they have all these projected expectations of how the evening is supposed to go. They have all these ideas. And when it's, when it's all said and done, he thinks he just totally crushed it. Like he did, just did an awesome job. He, he showed up on time. He paid for dinner. The movie they went to, uh, they both laughed at it. He thought he did a great job. Well, for her, she didn't get like his voice just didn't sound that great. His car was kind of had this odd smell. And, and, and he talked way too much about his mom. And so they both had these projected expectations, but just didn't go the way that they thought it was going to go. I think a lot of us are like that. I think a lot of us have, or are addicted maybe even to, are these projected expectations as to how things are supposed to go, how life's supposed to go, how the marriage is supposed to go, how raising kids is supposed to go, how the way our career was supposed to go. We have all these projected expectations, and then things just didn't quite meet up with all those expectations. I think faith offers us some tools with that. I think faith gives us some really healthy tools to be able to deal with these daily disappointments and unmet expectations that happen to us. I know when I got married, it was the most happy day of my life. I was overjoyed. I probably didn't have a clue about what I was doing, but I just knew it was just like a great and wonderful day. I never expected, never expected to have to go through a divorce. It just, just wasn't expected. Right now, a lot of us are dealing with some things that are unexpected. 
we're all having to stay at home a lot more. We're all trying to figure out how to work from home. We're at home more with the kids. There's just a lot of things that are happening that are unexpected. There was a lot of things that we were expecting to happen in the month of April, and now a lot of those things are, are up in the air and have changed and a lot of disappointments. So it's a lot of things are just unexpected. I think it's true when you follow Jesus, too. I think if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, then one of the things that happens is that there's a lot of things that following Jesus is, well, he just does a lot of things that are just unexpected. And I, and I think in those moments where, where we have these times in our lives where things happen to us that happen that are so unexpected, I think it's those moments that God kind of leans into us just a little bit. And he reminds us that even in those moments where things happen that were unexpected, when things happened that were disappointments, that things that happened that we feel are total failures, he reminds us that those are moments of probably our greatest victories. We see this, for example, as we pick up a story here with Jesus in the book of Mark. In Mark chapter 11, we see Jesus has been doing all kinds of amazing things. He's been healing people. He's been teaching. He's been telling people about the kingdom of God. And then he decides it's time to head to Jerusalem for the time of Passover. So he's been up in the area of Galilee, in a northern part there in the nation of Israel, and he begins to head south towards Jerusalem. And as he does that, the geography changes a little bit. You, you start up kind of high in, in the area of Galilee, and then you go a little lower, and eventually you climb a mountain where eventually you make it on top of the Mount of Olives. And there, on top of the Mount of Olives, there in front of you, off in the distance, you can see the city of Jerusalem. And it's there, standing on the Mount of Olives, that we pick up Mark chapter 11, starting in verse 1. It says this, As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you'll find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and will send it back here shortly. So Jesus is standing there on top of the Mount of Olives, and he sees the city of Jerusalem, and he tells two of his disciples, go down, and you're going to find this donkey. That says it's a donkey that's never been ridden before. There's a lot of kind of debate as to kind of what that might mean, but one thing it might mean is that it's, it's a donkey that's kind of young in age. It's a donkey that's maybe not fully matured quite yet, and so nobody would have ridden it just yet. And so he sends his disciples down to find this young donkey that nobody has ridden just yet. And in Jesus' time, there were all kinds of symbolic things that were tied to people riding into the city on a donkey. All kinds of symbolism about things like peace and salvation and kingship were all tied to the symbolism of riding in on a donkey. So they go, they, they find the donkey, they get the donkey, they bring it to Jesus. Uh, Jesus gets on the donkey, he begins to ride into the city, and as he's doing this, people see him coming at a distance. They can see him coming towards the city, and as they do, they have a bit of a reaction uh, to him coming to the city. And so in verse 8, we pick this up. It says, many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. 
Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna means is a word that just means to save. And so here's Jesus on a donkey riding into the city with all kinds of symbolism tied to it about kingship and being the Messiah and these people shouting, save us, save us. And all of that, and all of that leads to this probable meaning. What the people mean by this is you're the one that's going to come and save us. You're our military hero. You're the one that's going to save us all. You're riding in on a donkey. And so they begin to put their cloaks down. They begin to put all these palm branches down. And all of that is symbolic of this is Jesus' military parade. They think that you are our Savior coming into the city to save us all. And so these people are shouting, save us, save us. This is, this is the one who's going to save us all. Salvation has come because now you're here. So he rides in on this donkey. So we pick up in verse 11. Jesus entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple courts. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out into Bethany with the twelve. So this is kind of an unexpected kind of thing. First of all, it's a little unexpected he would want a donkey to ride into the city with. It's also kind of unexpected the, the kind of hero's welcome that he receives when he enters the city and now riding probably the highest level of popularity that he has experienced up until this point, he doesn't use it to his advantage. He, he doesn't go and make a speech about, here's my four points on how I'm going to you know, get us all out of this Roman rule that we have. He, he doesn't say that. He doesn't, he doesn't capitalize on this wave of popularity that he's found. Instead, Jesus goes to Bethany. He goes off. He, he does something that's really quite unexpected. Why not just stay in Jerusalem, but instead he goes to Bethany? And while he's in Bethany, and while he's there, he stays the night. And when he wakes up in the morning, he's hungry. Have you ever been hungry when you wake up in the morning? Well, well, Jesus was. And he's hungry when he gets up. And when he wakes up, he sees off in the distance, he can see that there's a fig tree over there, and he thinks, well... Fig trees, you're supposed to have figs. Maybe I could get something to eat off the tree. And so we pick up in Mark uh, chapter, we pick up in Mark uh, chapter 11 again in verse, in verse 13. It says, seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find if it had any fruit. And when he reached it, he found nothing but leaves because it was not the season for figs. And then he said to the tree, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard him say it so does jesus have a problem with trees like what's the problem here well jesus is doing what a lot of the old testament prophets would do they were always trying to teach us some kind of a lesson and so that's what jesus is doing here he's foreshadowing something that's going to happen in just a little bit when they go back when they go down back into the city of jerusalem so from a distance this fig tree looks great you would think it would have some fruit on it but when you get a little closer and upon further examination, you find out it doesn't have any fruit on it at all. It's just not what you expected. You would expect the fig tree to have figs, but it doesn't. And that same thing is going to happen in just a little bit when they go down to the city of Jerusalem and he goes to the temple. And as he's going to the temple with his disciples with him, he's walking around, he's walking around the area and he notices that, that there's this a set of some business people that have been set up in the temple. 
And the set of business people are sitting there and they're beginning to sell some items. But you can kind of tell that there's something not quite right with this setup. There's some corruption that's going on that people are aware of but nobody's talking about. A lot of poor people are getting taken advantage of as these people are being sold animals to, to make a sacrifice with into the temple. And Jesus gets really upset by this. And, and so he notices the corruption that's happening, and, and this is what happens. It says, he overturns the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. And as he taught them, he said, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? But you have made it a den of robbers. So Jesus notices this, and he does something that's, again, very unexpected. I mean, you just rode in on a wave of popularity. Why not use that to your advantage? But instead, you're pointing out this corruption. You're, you're kind of making a, a bit of a commotion here. He, he does something that's just really not expected of him to do. Not only that, but also near where Jesus probably would have been standing, there would have been a sign that was standing there, and that sign would have read something basically to the effect of, if you're not Jewish, you can't come in here. Which is, again, why Jesus said this temple is for all nations. This is for everybody. And so this would be a reminder to us followers of Jesus that church, wherever it is we gather for church, is a place that should be a place for everybody. It's for all the nations. So Jesus points that out to everybody that's there. He makes it a point to show what's going on. And so Jesus tells us by this little interaction here, from a distance, the temple looks great. In fact, in fact, Herod has been working on this temple for a very long time. It was in one of his grand sort of construction project. It's been under construction for about 60 years or so. In fact, some of the stones that are, that are used in the temple construction are so large, they are larger than some of the stones that were used, than many of the stones that were used in the construction of the pyramids in Egypt. So this is a massive project, and this is a point of pride for Herod. Not pride in the sense of something to honor God, but his own pride. And Jesus points out all the corruption that's happening here. And he says, just like the fig tree, from a distance, it looks great. But up close and upon further examination, it's just not producing the fruit that you think it should be. A little bit of time passes. Jesus stays in Jerusalem. He does some more teaching. Some other crowds kind of follow up, kind of follow him and come to hear what he has to say. And that gets us to Mark chapter 14. And in Mark chapter 14, Jesus is getting ready to celebrate the Passover meal. And we're told this in Mark 14. It says, Now the Passover and the festival and unleavened bread were only two days away, and the, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. So let's just kind of think about this for a minute. Jesus has just come into the city a few days ago. He rode into the city on a, on a wave of popularity, probably a level of popularity 
that he has not experienced at this at this point. This is probably the highest point of popularity that he has. And what does he choose to do with it? You you could have gone to anybody's house for Passover. There's probably not a home that would have refused you if you would have asked to have Passover with them. But instead, he goes to this guy's house, Simon the leper. And he's probably called Simon the leper because he's got leprosy, which would be something that nobody would want to hang out with. Nobody wants to go to his house. Nobody wants to eat his food. Nobody wants to touch him. But yet Jesus goes to his house. And not only does he go to his house, he, he eats with him, which in Jesus' day would have been a major social no-no. But he goes to his house. So if you want to know anything about Jesus, if you don't know anything about him at all, and all you knew was just this one little story that tells you everything you need to know about Jesus, he's the guy who is always for the outsider. And, and while he's there with this outsider, this one that nobody wants to touch, the one that nobody wants to hang out with, this woman comes with this, with this jar of some, of some perfume, and we know from the other Gospels that this woman is Mary. And she takes this jar, and she takes what's in this jar, and she puts it on Jesus' head. It seems like what this could be is something called spice nard. And spice nard was pretty expensive. In fact, it's still expensive today. You can buy some today. It's still a very pricey perfume to get, but it's also very pungent. If you had some, all you would need is just a pinch. You could set it out like on a countertop in your house, and within no time at all, your whole home would have a sweet, flowery smell. And then she takes this, this pound, we're told, of this nard, and she puts it onto Jesus' head. You probably could have smelled Jesus from like blocks away. That's how pungent and that's how powerful this perfume would have been. And by doing what she does, it causes something quite unexpected. In verse 4, we're told this. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, Why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. So we're told that this nard that she's got is about a, is about a pound or so. And all you need is just like a little bit of a pinch. In other words... This, what Mary has, this is a major investment. This is her financial security blanket, you might say. She could have sold little bits and pieces of this nard for years and probably doubled on the investment that she bought it for. And when it says a year's wage, let's just kind of make that some sense for us. A year's wage here in America is anywhere from, let's just ballpark it, $30,000 to $70,000. And let's just kind of take the middle road there a little bit. Let's just say that this nard, this pound of nard, is somewhere between forty dollars and $50,000, a year's wage. So she just took her security blanket that she could have lived on for years and probably doubled its value by selling off little bits and pieces of it. But instead, she takes the whole thing, a whole forty dollars to $50,000, and puts it on Jesus' head. And the reaction that she gets from this is completely unexpected. And in fact, Jesus' response is unexpected as well. In verse 6, it says this, Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She's done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with me, 
and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly, I tell you, whenever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Nothing that's happened here really fits into a nice, neat little category. It's all been very unexpected. It was unexpected that Jesus would come riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. The response he got was unexpected. Going to the house of Simon the leper was unexpected. What he did at the temple was unexpected. What Mary did was unexpected. All of these things are just unexpected. And all of these stories I find kind of challenging. And so I would just like to share with you the things that I find challenging in these stories. Maybe, maybe in this story that, that we have read here, maybe you see some of your story in there. Maybe there's something for you today that you might find. But here's the things that I find challenging. Maybe we both might pray about these things. I, I, th I think one of the first things that I find challenging is, is Mary's generosity. I think Mary just totally redefined generosity. She took her entire financial security blanket and she gave it to Jesus. You know, most Christians in America tithe somewhere between 2% to maybe 5% of whatever their income is to give it to any kind of a charity. I, I find it very challenging then that Mary took her whole like financial future just about and just surrendered it like that. I, I hope you find that challenging as well. Maybe that's something that you and I could pray about in our own lives. How might this challenge work itself out in our lives. I think the other thing that I find challenging in this story is that Jesus spent time with his friends. He could have gone to anybody. He could have hung out with anybody. He was riding a wave of, of popularity at the moment there in Jerusalem. He could have hung out with anybody, but he chose to hang out with his friends. He knew, a, he knew that a difficult time was coming, and when difficult times come, who do you want to spend time with? Oh, you want to spend time with your friends. So maybe that's you. Maybe in these challenging times we find ourselves in, perhaps there's some way that you might lean into your friends. Maybe there's an email you could send, a phone call that you could give, a video that you could make. Maybe that letter that you've just been meaning to write for forever, well, guess what? Now you've got some time to sit down and write that letter that you've just been meaning to write. You could do that. How might you lean into your friends during times of difficulty? I, I think the third thing that this brings our way is I find the story, I find the story of the fig tree quite humbling. I think it's real easy for us Christians to point our fingers at the culture that we find ourselves in and point out all the ways in which they're wrong. You know, they don't do this right and they don't honor this and they don't do that and all that is probably very true. But at the same time, let's just be honest too, sometimes we too, like the temple and like the fig tree from a distance, we might look great, but up close and upon further examination, where's the fruit? Where's the fruit? I find that challenging in my life. I hope that maybe today you might find that something to pray about and challenging in your life as well. God bless you.